Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode, we talk about your 3 and 13 Detroit Pistons. Maybe I should stop doing the record in the intro, and you, you, you guys know what the team is about. Uh, ben Gulker and I talk about the Killian Hayes injury, Jeremy Grant's 20-point-per-game streak ending, and we answer your Twitter questions. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. How you doing, Ben? Laz, I'm doing well. You know, everything was great this week. I had a very good week, except the Pistons managed to uh, lose their win their way into an 0-4. So, uh, yeah, thanks for people uh, responding on Twitter. I needed to be saved from myself and my negativity about this week, so... We got some fun questions to talk about. How are you doing, Les? I'm doing good. I am also appreciative of everyone who follows on Twitter and, and gives us questions. We we really appreciate that. But I gotta say, like I I had like sketched out some stuff, and then people just <laughs> asked the stuff I had sketched out in the document. Okay. I was like, okay, okay, I'm, I'll take I'm, it. I'm in tune with what with what people want to hear about. That's good, I guess. Um. Actually, one thing I wanted to start with, because it did happen, uh, we haven't talked about this yet, basically, um, and no one asked about it, strangely enough, either, but uh, we got some official news about Killian Hayes. He has a hip subluxation. I hope I'm saying that right. We we discussed a little bit earlier. We, we thought that was a fake term. Nope, that, that's, a, that's a real thing. Um, so then the most important thing, though, is he's not going to have surgery. They're just going to try and rehab it initially to start. And he will be out. Uh, he'll be reevaluated in eight weeks. What do you What do you think about uh, the Killian Hayes news, Ben? Well, I mean, preliminarily, it seems like uh, that's a good thing. Subluxation. Yeah, I, I thought that was just a term chiropractors used when they didn't really know what was happening. So when I heard that, I was a little surprised. But yeah, I mean, no surgery in the immediate short term. Hopefully, that means this is something that. You know, doesn't need an invasive sort of process that sets him out for the rest of the season. Um, you know, I, I hope we get to see him again because, um, you know, for me in the early weeks of the season, he, he and Jeremy Grant were the things that were really interesting to me. And, and I want to see more of him this year. I really do want to see uh, what he can do to improve and develop his game. The flip side of that is there is no season to save. So, if it ends up being a red shirt rookie season out of an abundance of caution, um, you know, I'm okay with that too. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fan in me is hoping he gets back on the court and we, we do get to see a little bit more of him. Yeah. The the thing I noted from the release was that they, it was the Pistons team doctor and it was two other uh, like independent doctors. And so that made me feel a little bit better about the decision to not have surgery right? Like in my like limited web MDing of like what a hip subluxion and like what hip injuries in general mean 
it, it seemed like it was better to have the surgery than not to have the surgery just because it looked like hips, the like hips would degrade essentially until uh, surgically taken care of. Um, but if you can avoid surgery, like that's always the way to go. And so I'm, I'm pretty pleased that it seemed like uh, he and the team worked in conjunction with uh, a good number of doctors who had his best interest in mind uh, to get him on the court as soon as possible. Um, the other thing I will say, like from a day-to-day perspective, like, yeah, Killian Hayes was a big reason why I was watching the team as well. And when you get games like the game against Philadelphia, where there's no Derrick Rose, and it's a lot of a lot of DeLon Wright and uh, a little bit of Saban Lee, and it's just like this. This is not you can tell like this is not the point guard plan that they had in mind for this season. And so you you want to see Killian back, um, you know, as soon as possible. Um, he, again, the reevaluating in eight weeks that does not mean he will be court ready. In eight, eight weeks, that means like, you know, hopefully they go back in eight weeks and it's like it's healing nicely and they can start thinking about it. Um, I know the season, the season is a little bit weird because of everything, because of COVID and the shortened schedule and the not knowing when the second half of the season is because they haven't fully fleshed it out right now. But uh, for reference, I think eight weeks from now would be a couple of weeks, a week or two after the all-star break which is currently scheduled for march 5th through the 10th and so if you assume that they play another i think they have the first what 47 of games of the year scheduled so if you assume they play another you know 30-ish games after the all-star break um and killian everything goes well with killian's rehab and he's able to return like you know let's say like 10 11 weeks after uh like eight weeks they reevaluate him he takes another two three weeks to get court ready then we see him uh, after that, like maybe we see like another like 15, 10 to 15 or so games of Killian this season. That's that's a long way away. And that's if everything goes goes well. But uh, yeah, we so there's there's an outside shot that we see um, more of Killian Hayes uh, than just like the seven games we got or whatever. So that's good. That's good. That's better than zero. Yeah. I mean, like you, you can only hope, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, Ben. Next up, you you put out the call on Twitter. We got some questions. We got some good questions from some people. Uh, we're gonna start with this first one um, from from a couple of people. A couple of people asked about this, basically from Motor City Hoops and from Detroit Fanboys. It's like, do you think there's a trade market for Wayne Ellington? Uh, Wayne Ellington's on fire this week <laughs> in his uh, in his last seven games, his last six starts. So uh, beyond just like the past week or so, even stretching back to uh, the Utah game. Uh, the game after the Utah game, if I remember correctly, he's averaging 25 minutes a night, which feels low. It feels like he's been out there more than just 25 minutes a night, but he's averaging 13 points a night on 50% from the floor, a staggering 53% from three and 67% from the line. So Ben, uh, like obviously he's not going to shoot 53% from three the rest of the season, but you think Wayne Ellington has built himself a nice little trade market? Well, he gets buckets, right? I mean, everywhere he goes, he just shoots the ball. He doesn't do a lot else. <laughs> we all know that. Um, I think it was the heat game um, where I, which I one? actually, yeah, which one it was, <laughs> which one um, it was the one that I watched live. <laughs> um, the, anyway, I had the, the heat broadcast for that game and uh, they were, they were given like a, a career shout out to Wayne Ellington during that game. They were so impressed with his heat career. So, you know, what that led me to think was almost like along the lines of this question. I think he at least has a reputation as a guy who, if you 
are, you know, making a playoff push and you need to add one more shooter, you know, if somebody gets, goes down with an injury, you just need to add a little bit more depth. Like absolutely a guy like Wayne Ellington is the kind of guy you would want to think about not making a lot of money and that kind of thing. And obviously in Detroit, he's not part of the long-term plan. So I would surely think that Wayne Ellington will be shopped pretty aggressively. Um, you know, given this crazy year that we're having, I'm not even sure when, when is he eligible to be traded? Do, do you know that date last offhand? Oh, it's 90 days after he signs the contract. Okay. So uh, March whatever that sometime. it's not yet. Right. Like it's, yeah. it's not yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and honestly, like take what you can get, if you can get something, if it's a, you know, a future second rounder, you're swapping vets and then, you know, a future second rounder or something. Um, yeah, I'm absolutely all about making that move if it's there. No, I mean, something we've said was a was not like a, a, a strength of the current front office is that they haven't properly evaluated all of their assets, right? And they haven't done an amazing job of getting uh, assets in trade. And so if you have a guy like Wayne Ellington who's performing, who continues to perform this well, right? Like that's the other thing. He's got he's to keep this up to be worth something in trade. But if he keeps this up, um, you could absolutely get like a, a second round pick and, and a guy for for Wayne down the stretch from a playoff team and he could be a useful player so like yeah I think there's definitely a trade market uh there there is a trade market for Wayne if the Pistons want there to be one which uh hopefully they do if if things progress this way all right Ben the next question is from at lid, lid upon my head a big uh big member of the Pistons Twitter of the current group of players which of these guys if any is a part of the Pistons' next championship team. I go back to guys like Stack, Chucky Atkins, etc., who helped raise the level but never landed the ring. So are there any of those guys on this roster? Ooh, man. Nope, not, not pulling any punches with that question. You mm-hmm. know, I, so far, nobody has proved other than Jeremy Grant, um, honestly, that they, they belong in like the top seven rotation of a playoff team to me right now. Um, You know, I'm excluding Blake Griffin because what we've seen from Blake this season just isn't what we've seen from Blake in the past. But, um, you know, Jeremy Grant's contract right now is only three years long. And at the time it was signed, that felt like a long time because we didn't really know who he was going to become. And right now it feels too, too short um, because the Pistons are going to be a championship team in three years. Right. Um, I mean, I don't think it's unfair to say um, we're probably two years away from like the Chucky Atkins stack team, right? That was sort of making its way up the ranks in the Eastern Conference and sort of establishing a name for itself. Right now, we're still the worst team in the NBA. So I am going to go out on a limb and say, I don't think any of these guys are on the Pistons next championship team. Um, If we're lucky, Guys like Killian and Sekou are part of the next Pistons playoff team, which is maybe that Stackhouse, Chucky Atkins uh, group of guys, those junkyard dog, all, all those guys we talked about a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely correct. Um, it's so hard to like say like when the next Pistons championship will be at this current moment. Like uh, it could be it could be five years. It could be 25 years like we, we we don't know. And so I think it's probably just safer to say like none of these guys are going to be on the championship version of, of the Detroit Pistons. Um, that said, like you have a great point, like Killian and Seku and 
uh, maybe even Jeremy Grant, if this happens like a little bit quicker than we're thinking, could absolutely be, or if Troy Weaver uh, decides to re-sign him, which also seems like a possibility, um, could absolutely be on, on the next like iteration of this team that makes the playoffs and is a solid like playoff contender. And, you know, that's probably for the best, right? You you want your young guys to progress and be part of, uh, get that playoff experience like relatively early in their careers. All right, Ben, the next question comes from at Brody Games, Scott Brody. I'm curious if either of you think there have been any intentional moves by the coaches to tank these close games, or is it really just a matter of some bad luck plays and lack of early team continuity? So, Ben, do you think Dwayne Casey is intentionally losing games? (laughs) I cannot express how much I love this question, Scott. Thank you for (laughs) for asking it. Because it's like, is Dwayne Casey playing like eight-dimensional chess right now, right? Like, are he and Troy Weaver scheming behind the scenes to throw these guys by like telling the press that they want to be competitive and win with the veterans and all that stuff? Um I wish, like, I wish that were the case, like, because it would, it would make more sense to me. It'd be more palatable to me if that were the case, but I don't think so. Um, I think this is just fundamentally a pretty bad team. And uh, we're seeing the results of that in the three and whatever we are right now, three and 11, three and 12, whatever. I don't even know. Three and 12, I think. Yeah. I would say, hmm, I would say the, the closest thing I can think of to Dwayne Casey, like absolutely just like throwing a game was the Boston game that Jason Tatum won at the last second. Mm -hmm. It was like when you had, not only did you have Blake on the floor for that play, like you had Blake like switch onto Jason Tatum like that, like, and that apparently like was the call because they were switching everything like that. That seems like a mistake. You probably can't get away with that. We saw, was it the, was it the Atlanta game? We saw another game. I saw another game this week where like they had Blake on the floor in a like it might have been yeah, it was the Houston game they had Blake on the floor at a crucial uh, defensive moment and he was much more like in the quarterbacking position like telling Jeremy to go like switch up top uh, <laughs> and, and, and laying back and like no like if Blake's gonna be on the floor and in a close game on the defense like that's that's the role he should be playing not like superstar stopper like that 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 wasn't Blake Griffin like even you know back when he was fully ambulatory and so I, I don't think Dwayne Casey is out here like throwing games. No, um, I also don't think like this team is very good. They're very, very competitive, but I don't think they're very good. And so we should not be surprised that they have lost a bunch of close games. We should be more surprised that they have played a bunch of close games when you just look at look at the dudes on this team. But but thanks for the question, Scott. All right, Ben, next question is from Jeff Koenig, 2004. What is the why the sudden random urge to play Blake at the five? I'm not buying the whole matchup remark. Change my mind. So Ben, actually, I was gonna I was gonna talk about this. So thanks, Jeff. Um, we saw some Blake at center minutes against Houston. Um, I thought that maybe could have been uh, just because Houston, if they didn't have they didn't have Christian Wood, and if they weren't playing Boogie Cousins, like they just you know had a bunch of six eight dudes, and so it made some semblance of sense to have Blake play center in in those lineups. Um, but then we got some post game news, uh, from Rod Beard that Dwayne Casey had like spoken to Blake about playing in more center lineups. Um, me and other individuals on Pistons Twitter thought that like, you know, this could be the precursor to a, a different role for Blake and then a different role ultimately turning into a, a diminished role. 
for Blake. So Ben, do you think Blake playing center is the start of a, a lesser role uh, for him on this team? Well, it, it could be that it certainly seems feasible. Um, it could also be that Mason Plumley just wants to foul out of every possible <laughs> game. And shout out to Mason Plumley for like doing God's work, right? Like he is just creating minutes for Isaiah Stewart, which I will take any chance I can get. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you're thinking about the way they've tried to shuffle around Blake Griffin, especially defensively, as we've talked about the zone and how that's masking Blake's inefficiencies and, and that kind of a thing, like it would make sense that they would try something else to try to shift him. I think the other thing that it maybe signals is um, realizing that Jeremy Grant is really the focal point of the office. And if, if or offense, excuse me, I'm already thinking about work tomorrow. I said office. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think shifting him to sort of like a point center role and letting Jeremy play a little bit more at the four, I think is something worth exploring as well. And, Ultimately, that would diminish his role a little bit as as well. So, I mean, to me, that feels like a logical conclusion because he's certainly not a natural center, right? So, you know, other than shifting things to see if they can make something work, that makes sense to me. Yeah. The, the other thing that I didn't mention earlier that I forgot to is that if Blake were to play minutes for a team that is not the Detroit Pistons. Ooh. Yeah, it might make more sense for him to play kind of in a 25 minute a night, like offensive, mainly offensive only center role and just like uh, exploiting mismatches that way. Um, And then you're limiting the damage he can do on defense by playing him against like bench lineups and you're limiting his minutes. And we've seen, you know, Blake can be effective if his minutes are lessened. And so like, yeah, you know, maybe this is, this is a precursor to giving other teams a look at what Blake at center lineups can do. This is maybe just a precursor to changing Blake's role as the fulcrum and the focal point of the offense. Uh, this is just Dwayne Casey trying some stuff. Like there, there are a lot of possible answers to this question. All right, Ben, the next question comes from at Michael Dompier. Dompier. Sorry about that, Mike. Uh, what's the path to being a playoff team that can win a series in more than in more in two years or uh, win a playoff series or more in two years? How does the roster project? Where do we see draft needs, free agent needs? So Ben, like, you know, this team is obviously the, the worst team in the NBA right now. What needs to change for them to be a playoff team? Well, I don't think two years is a realistic timetable, first of all, um, you know, unless Killian Hayes come, comes back a season from now and is like fringe all-star kind of point guard because they, mm-hmm. they just don't have the talent right now. Um, you look at the contracts that are expiring within the next two seasons. Obviously, you've got Blake Griffin's contract uh, rolling off if he stays with the team, potentially getting bought out. Laz, you've mentioned potentially um, opting out, like if he wants to have more control over his destiny and those kinds of things. Um, so I feel like two years, just we're, we're just not in a situation where two years from now we can be thinking about playoffs. Um, they they really have to fundamentally upgrade the talent level at essentially every position, whether that's at the starting position or backup position. Um, you know, they just don't have a lot of guys who are proven NBA starters right now. I really like some of the things that Troy Weaver did. I really like, for example, taking a two-year flyer on Josh Jackson, you take a flyer on Jaleel Okafor, like you you take as many bites at the apple as you can possibly get 
and you need to get lucky. You need a couple of those things to pay off. We're obviously going to have um, a top draft pick, probably fifth to seventh, because that's how it works in Detroit. Oh, no, no. Let, let's hope we're better than that. Let's hope we're better than that. But yeah. you know, you got to hit in the draft. You got to hit in the next lottery, um, and then you got to you got to get another Sadiq Bay, right? Like you got to get one of these guys who are late in the first round, earlier in the second round. Uh, you got to get another Isaiah Stewart. Like you have to do that a year in a row or two years in a row or three years in a row to just fundamentally upgrade the talent base. Um, and, and then you can start thinking about the playoffs. So I, I think we're more than two years away. Uh, I think calibrating expectations in that way is going to make things a lot more enjoyable as a fan. Yeah. That's, that's as a calm, rational answer from Ben. <laughs> no, and I'm going to give you the irrational answer. If you want the Pistons to be a playoff team in two years, you hope they get the number one pick. You hope whoever they take at the number one pick is extremely good right away. And you hope that the expanded playoff system uh, persists and you win a couple games in that and you make the playoffs that way, right? You all, you, you know, you, you win 38 games, win a couple in the play-in tournament and you get smashed in the first round and like, Hey, you made the playoffs, um, but you did it with, but you did it being led by a presumable like 19 year old who, who will get better. Like that, that is the answer to how you make the playoffs in the next couple of years. Well, um, and like you, you have to get lucky, right? Like right, yeah. um, you got it. You have to trade Grant Hill for Ben Wallace. Like you've got to be able to pick up Rashid while you're making a playoff push. Like you, you absolutely have to take as many bites at the apple so that one of them hits. Um, and really, I mean, that's what, that's what Troy Weaver did in a lot of ways in his first off season. So I think we can expect some more of that in the next couple of years. Yeah. It's also always funny to me when people ask like, what's like, when is this team going to be good? And it's like, you know, it's like, if you just want to check out until the team's good again, like you, you're more than welcome to, like, I did that, you know, I, uh, I did that after Chauncey was traded. I just like stopped following the team as closely. And then uh, the team not being good is actually what would suck me back in. So maybe you don't want to do that. But like sports is supposed to be fun. If you're if uh, you if the team is miserable and it's making you miserable, like, you know, it it's fine to, to turn off the games and take a walk and spend time with your respective families and stuff. Or just like, you know, pick up another team. I won't I won't tell anyone. You don't have to tell me and I won't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> or watch the Wolverines, who are now paused for two weeks because of COVID, which is unfortunate. I saw that. That was just re- that was really crazy. Unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I wanted to. And you know what? I'm going to interrupt. This is a podcast. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> I'm going I'm to interrupt the podcast. What do you think? We talked a little bit last week about the COVID situation in the NBA and how kind of fortunate and ple- pleased we were that it hadn't really affected the Pistons. We talked about the the tightening of COVID regulations. Um, you know, um, um, league wide, essentially. And then for the first time this week, we saw uh, with the Memphis Grizzlies, we saw a couple of positive tests for players result in basically a a week-long cancellation of games instead of like, you know, playing the game to see if they had eight bodies or whatever. They were just like, no, like no one, no one plays for a week. Anyone uh, playing the Grizzlies that just doesn't play a game is postponed. We'll play those games later. What did you, uh, what did you think of that as a, as a sort of resolution to the like, will they, won't they play uh, question. Then. Yeah, I mean, a week ago I was fairly critical, um, but I was happy to see it. I think the right thing to do is prioritize the health and safety of the players, um, the, the health and safety of the coaches, the training staffs, and everyone involved. Right? Like to me, that is absolutely the right thing to do. Um, 
you know, this isn't a Michigan Wolverines podcast, but I, I applaud that decision as well, as difficult as it was, especially given how that team has performed this year. Um, but there, I think they were in particular worried about some of the new variants of the, the car, uh, the COVID virus as well. So I, I mean, to me, that makes a good statement. It, it's the right thing to do for the players. I think it's also um, a good example um, for society at large. I mean, Michigan, fortunately, right now is in a fairly good place relative to COVID. But there's no question that it has taken an enormous amount of sacrifice. And a lot of people have lost income and jobs and all of those things. And, um, you know, I, I think to see the NBA with as much money as on the line, right, for every single game that they have, for them to say, no, this is the, the right thing to do is to just take a week off and get this thing under control. Um, that that made me, I was, I was proud to be an NBA fan in that moment. I think that was the right thing to do. Yeah. And it's funny to me because you could also interpret it selfishly, right? Like I'm sure it costs a lot of money and time and effort to try and put on a game that will ultimately end up being canceled. Um, and, you know, having an opportunity to just not expend that energy, being able to uh, do different things, you know, being able to test people more closely not necessarily like worrying as closely about like cross team contamination, which I think is like what the NBA is really worried about because, you know, that at that point you could have a, a league wide um, issue with COVID. And so like, yeah, from even from a, from a selfish cynical perspective, it, it appears to be the right thing to do. And so uh, I, <laughs> it's funny that it can be the right thing for altruistic reasons and it can be the right thing for selfish reasons, which means like you probably should have been doing this earlier. Just, just flat out. But yeah. All right. That was me hijacking the podcast for, for five minutes to it's talk your about something. It's your show, man. <laughs> All right. The uh, next question comes from Charlatan 28, Keith black shout out Keith. Uh, who was the player most likely to still be on the team three years from now? So Ben, who, who's who's the most likely? All right, so I'm gonna go with Killian Hayes because I think he's still under contract. Is that right? Like yeah. I don't I don't see them trading him. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the easy one. Yeah, it was like that's it's like Keith's a smart dude. This is an easy question, man. It's it's for sure Killian because like, three years from now he'll be coming up on what year four of his rookie deal, yeah. and you don't trade dudes on year four of their rookie deals usually. Um, <laughs> Unless they're named Luke Kennard. Luke Kennard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the safe answer but uh you never know maybe hey you know maybe there's a completely new front office in four years and we'll see where the chips lie from there that's a fun thought oh yeah. my gosh. Oh, let's hope not no okay so let me take let me take a swing at this from a more serious perspective i would say isaiah stewart because he is just he embodies detroit right like he i've never seen a rookie want to be a piston the way isaiah stewart like wants to be a piston so killian hayes is the obvious one isaiah stewart obviously a first round pick similar sort of contract scenario but i feel like they just got to keep isaiah stewart he's just he's too much of a fan favorite he recalls the greatness of the going to work teams and ben wallace um yeah they, they got to keep him around too speaking of isaiah stewart our next question comes from friend of the program joe truck aka joseph sinky is there any hope that Isaiah Stewart becomes a plus rebounder? Ben, <laughs> is, Isaiah, is Isaiah Stewart going to be a good rebounder eventually? I mean, it's a little soon to say, but, you know, rookies are unpredictable. You got to give it a year or two. I mean, I think 
like yeah there's a there's a pretty good chance he becomes like a plus defensive rebounder eventually just as he learns like the tricks of the trade we saw the we saw the incident with dwight howard right this this week in the philly game in isaiah stewart where he ripped his uh he ripped his pants <laughs> like it, you're he's gonna learn more like dark art of rebounding uh box out techniques as he plays and that's going to help him become a better defensive rebounder and as long as he has the motor he has he'll be a pretty good offensive rebounder and so yeah there's there's a pretty good chance that isaiah stewart becomes a plus rebounder one day in the not too distant future yeah and you call it the defensive rebounding which i think was appropriate because his early defensive rebounding numbers were actually not that good they were actually lagging quite a bit behind his offensive rebounding but his his defense his defensive rebounding percentage is actually ticking up so i think that's a good thing he's putting those skills to work not just when he can get the put back which he obviously loves to do but also when he can you know catch it and throw an outlet pass. So he's already making strides at becoming a good rebounder, let's say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, Ben, our last question comes from at young does the web, uh, Ahija Chaver. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. I apologize. Um, Do you see the Pistons biggest need as a center or point guard? And given the choice, do we go Mobley or Cade? Those are two, those are the top two prospects in the draft right now. Oh, well, I mean, you've got Killian in the, in the hopper, right? So you, you don't take Killian if you don't believe he can become a player. So it it would be weird to take another point guard. Um, but at the same time, I don't, I don't know if I buy the either orness of the question. I think the Pistons need to upgrade at every position at like all 10 of your rotation spots starting in backups you need a a massive talent infusion so while i wouldn't probably take a point guard in the next draft i would certainly not be limiting myself to center i would be looking at any position and um be be ready to draft the best player available who is not a point guard that's how i would be approaching the draft this year no i i think that's a totally fair evaluation um i do I do wonder like if if Isaiah Stewart's shot never comes around, he's never a stretch threat. I do wonder if he's like your your long term answer at center, if, or if he's better as just an energy like backup big man in a in a very valuable role, similar like a like a Tristan Thompson, right? Mm-hmm. Like an extremely valuable role, but like uh, not necessarily one where you feel comfortable with him um, being the starting like thirty minute a night uh, center for your team. Um, and so I, I think like of, if you make me pick a binary between a point guard and a center, it's probably center. Um, I, I, I think, uh, the, the Pistons could use a, a more vertical lob threat from their center position. I think that would, like, that was something I expected from Mason Plumley that we haven't seen as much. The athleticism might be waning for Mason. We saw him get blocked at the rim a couple times uh, this week and maybe wince because like that was a that was the element I was hoping he'd be able to bring. Um and Isaiah Stewart is a quick jumper, but he does not jump very high. And so he's not uh, going to be an amazing lob threat, I don't think. Um and so like I I wish I do kind of wish for like the the for Killian's future sake and for the the sake of uh, any future playmakers or ball handlers that the Pistons have, that they have like a really explosive, uh, like leaping uh, dive man on the roll. Um, and so, like I've heard, I've I put out a call on Twitter for names. 
Um, Yves Pons is uh, seems like the the best choice for that. That dude can really jump. Um, if they get Evan Mobley in the draft, uh, Mobley is not necessarily. I was Mobley's not like a super bouncy guy. He doesn't have a lot of jump jumping, but he's like way way taller and longer, and so like that that offers a nice lob element. And so like yeah, and he's pretty fluid. And so yeah, like he he'd be a good fit, obviously. Um, but yeah, the the question is a, a little weird. Um, and we're going to do draft stuff. This also kind of came up in questioning on Twitter. We're going to do draft stuff a little bit later. It's, it's, we haven't even hit 20 games in the season. It's a little early to be, to be doing draft stuff. And if everything goes to plan, like we only have to look at like four or five dudes anyway. So right. Exactly. There's there's no point doing it this early. All right, Ben, that's, that's really it for the questions. Um, but like there was some stuff that I was surprised that people didn't ask about that. I just, we're going to chat about, we're going to wrap back and forth about um, were you surprised to see Sadiq Bay start the uh, game that we didn't see Blake Griffin or Derek Rose play uh, against Philadelphia? Sadiq had kind of fallen out of the rotation. He had uh, he had cooled off from three, also, but um, and he only played 19 minutes against Philadelphia. But he did start and he did manage to score 10 points. Had a couple nice uh, three pointers, which was good to see. I think he was two for five from three. Um, so were you, uh, were you a little surprised that Sadiq kind of fell out of the rotation? I think I'm done being surprised by the rotations <laughs> this year because yeah, they, right. they throw me every game week to week. Um, you know, in addition to finding a shot, he also had a really nice back down turnaround jumper in the paint. I forget who it was over. Um, but my goodness, if, if he can utilize that size and strength and turn over his left shoulder or right shoulder and knock down an eight to 12 footer fadeaway jump shot, man, does that open up his game? a bunch but yeah nice to see him get back on track yeah he he had also he played uh the passing lanes really well over the last couple of games i can think of uh, like at least three occasions in which he was in the right place at the right time just couldn't get all of his hands on the ball and uh didn't end up with a steal but like you you like to see that he is you know cognizant of what's happening uh defensively uh, in front of him and and so like that was good you like yeah i'm with you it's like i i'm done being confused by the rotations the rotations just kind of are what they are i think the the coaching staff is still experimenting 15 games into the season um i think we're going to see just further experimentation as the year goes on just because like we don't we don't know what what's going to pop and what's going to happen and i think as the I think so like this is something you've talked about like where your major frustration is that the young kids aren't playing and we saw them play a lot against Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I think as we get deeper into the season and the games mean less and the season is kind of dragging on, I do think we'll see just more of the kids in general. But it's still you know relatively early in a 72 game season, right? We're a little over 1/6 of the way through. And so like you think about where this team was you know, a game 15 last year. And you think about like, you know, the starting lineups they were putting together after the trade deadline. Like yeah. there's, there's, there's a lot of room for this team to be very different in like 30 or so games. And yeah, so that's fair. Yeah. It's, I know it's hard to be patient because you got to watch this team lose every night, but like, you know, have a little patience guys. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was, um, Oh yeah. Jeremy Grant, uh, his 20 point per game streak is over. Um, he didn't score 20 points against the Philadelphia 76ers. I think he made it, what, 14 games? Yeah, 14 games scoring 20 points in a row, which is still fairly impressive. 
but we are starting to see teams play him as the starting to defend him like he's the number one option on this team. Um, we saw like Houston really made an effort to try and take him out of his game. We're seeing uh, he drew like the Ben Simmons assignment like down the stretch of the Philadelphia game, which is you know a really high honor seeing as has Ben Simmons is a, a all defense uh, level defender in the NBA and like one of the one of the best on ball guys in the league. And so, you know, normally that's resolved or normally that's that space is reserved for Blake Griffin. But what we're seeing from Blake, like, obviously, he's not going to draw those type of assignments. And so, Ben, do you think are you are you worried, I guess? Are you worried that, you know, with more defensive attention, we're going to see a less uh, productive version of of Jeremy Grant? I'm not worried yet. I mean, really, it's one difficult game. Right, He shot the ball very poorly uh, against Philly. Um, I think you're absolutely right to point out that he's not under the radar anymore, right? Like he, he it's clear where Blake Griffin at is, is, is where Blake Griffin at is at in his career right now and where Jeremy Grant is at in his career right now. And I think this is just the next step for Jeremy Grant. Like this is the next hurdle he needs to overcome. I think I've seen enough from him at this point to know that he's got all of the physical and athletic and skill tools he needs to deal with that. Um, I, I think the, the big thing, well, there's two big things I would say that are going to be challenging for him. The first one is, is that this is probably the first time he's dealt with this since like high school, right? I mean, he hasn't been the primary guy for a long time. Um, so this is going to be an adjustment period for him. Um, the second thing is, which is going to be challenging for him, is he just doesn't have, have a whole lot of dump off options, right? There aren't a lot of other guys in this roster who can be the secondary ball handler, the secondary playmaker, the secondary scorer. Unfortunately, um, you know, we've seen other guys cool off and uh, Josh Jackson, for example, who was kind of slashing early, hasn't been slashing as much. So he's he's going to have to figure out a way uh, to deal with this as the next challenge in terms of, you know, coaching and scheme. I think when Jeremy has been at his best in the flow of the offense, um, it's it's not, you know, just dribble the air out of the ball in isolation. It's his his offense still comes most naturally um, when he's moving without the ball, catching the ball, and then going in two or three dribbles. I think that's still where you want to try to scheme around that. Um, I think it comes naturally for him when he's in that scenario. But what it also means is if, if you're a, an NBA defense, that's a lot harder to scheme against in terms of uh, double teams and cheating and all those kinds of things. I think um, you know, this is for right now, I'm just going to assume this is the next step in his natural evolution as a player. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes him a few weeks, maybe a few months to get through this is because this is not an easy thing to deal with. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to worry yet. I'm, I'm going to be patient with him. He's earned, I think the fans patience and a, a little bit of loyalty the way he's played over the first 14, 15 games of the season. Uh, and they have to keep scheming and strategizing well, um, to put him in the best scenario. So when the clamps come down on him, he's set up well to be successful. You want to know something funny, Ben? I do. So uh, you you said, like, you know, this is the first time since high school that Jeremy's been the number one option. Not true. He went oh. to high school with Victor Oladipo and was oh, on Victor Oladipo's right. page. <laughs> so this is literally the first time in his life he's that's the, crazy. the number one option. How yeah. many NBA players can say that, right? Like, there can't be many. And which is what makes his ascension all the more surprising, yeah, right? That's true. Yeah. Laz, you have had 
an amazing vocabulary, this podcast, I just want to say. We've got <laughs> ascension, we've got subluxation. There was some other word in there that I didn't even know the definition of. So, I mean, props for bringing your A in today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> we're going to go a little bit simpler. Uh, Jeremy needs to stop turning the ball over as much. True. Like yeah, That's the thing that I was worried about. Like When uh, he, again, ascends to, to the number one role in the offense, uh, we saw that a little bit of that against Houston. We saw more of that against uh, a better defender, obviously, in Ben Simmons against Philadelphia. And part of what made Jeremy so special the those first like 10, uh, 12 games was that he was scoring so efficiently without turning the ball over. Um, if he continues to turn the ball over at like a higher rate, that makes what he's doing still like impressive, but a lot less special. True. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But you know, I am encouraged that we'll see we'll see more twenty point games from oh, yeah. from Jeremy Grant. He's I got too not. many tools. He, yeah, he's got too many tools. And he's gonna get and as you pointed out, he's gonna get too many shots. He's too mm. important to what this team does to to not score twenty points. All right, Ben. The Pistons play the Sixers on Monday. They play the Cavs on Wednesday, and then uh, they start a. Oh no no no! They play the Lakers on Thursday on a back to back. So they play the Cavs late. Uh, Cavs at home and Lakers at home. And then on Saturday, they kick off a five-game road trip against the Golden State Warriors. Ben, do they play a close game this week? <laughs> well, they're capable of playing the 76ers closely, right? Uh, we we, we've it. seen that. We saw yeah, it. Yeah. And I think the Cavs, I mean, you got to look. I'm here for all of the Isaiah Stewart Andre Drummond minutes, by the way. Like, I want to see that matchup and I want to see as much as I was a fan of Dre, like, I want to see Isaiah Stewart like rip his shorts off or something like that. Like, that just needs to happen. <laughs> uh, but yeah, starting with the Lakers, oof, it, it could get ugly real, real quick. Yeah, the that five game road trip out west always seems to go really poorly for the Pistons, regardless yeah. of team quality. And so, like, with a bad team, like, oof. It, it's it could get really ugly. Um, I would expect that Cavs game to be to be pretty close. The Cavs look better. They they've won two games over the Brooklyn Nets through sheer force of personality and uh, the fact that the Nets don't play any defense. Um, uh, you you asked for the Isaiah Stewart Andre Drummond matchup. I'm going to be curious about the Isaiah Stewart Jared Allen matchup since Jared Allen true. seems to yes. be yeah yeah uh, the future center for that Cavaliers yeah, team. Interesting, right? Like oof, yeah, yeah. interesting. Not a yeah, not a lot of a priority placed on uh, what Andre Drummond's future is going to look like at at this point in the time for the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, um, and the Warriors. The Warriors are we've already seen the Warriors once this year. Mm-hmm. Um, they they can be a very uh, they can be a very like hit or miss team. We've we've seen them. In, they you know had a nice really nice comeback against the Lakers on national TV. Their last game they got blown out by the Jazz yeah. by thirty points, and so you know. Anything can happen uh, in that game. It is nice to see uh, Draymond Green back and, and doing Draymond Green things uh, for that Warriors team, though. And that's something the Pistons uh, didn't see the first time around. So be curious to see how that plays out. All right, Ben, let the people know where they can find you, uh, where they can find your work, where uh, you know they can find you working on your vocabulary just like me. <laughs> I'm going to have to get out the thesaurus next time and uh, be prepared. You know, at BR Golker on Twitter, I keep threatening that i'm gonna write stuff but i don't know man there just hasn't been a whole lot to write about yet so we so we take negative stuff <laughs> hey associating me with the negatives you know what man i tell you what if 
if we get an increasing amount of what we saw last night in that Philly game, which look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go on a rant about Dwayne Casey's rotation, but every young player that everybody cares about played at least 15 minutes last night. They were competitive for the entire game. And actually the second unit, if you look at the third quarter um, was the unit that put the, that took the lead right in the third quarter. So, they were competitive against a playoff team and they played the young guys and it went down to the wire. And look, honestly, if Jeremy Grant had been even half of himself, they they would have won that game. Like you give me more of those kinds of losses and like, I'm good, man. Like that, that was a whole lot of fun. And I will take as much of that as I can get between now and when, you know, whenever the season ends, whenever that ends up being. And as long as Mason Plumlee keeps fouling out of games, <laughs> you'll get that. Probably. He'll, yeah, people. I mean, he's my favorite player right now. I got to be honest. <laughs> All right. Uh, obviously, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Thanks again to everybody who submitted questions and made the bulk of this episode possible. We really appreciate you guys for listening and uh, contributing to the content. It means a lot to me. Um, you can follow uh, us on Twitter with uh, Detroit Bad Boys, at Detroit Bad Boys. Um, This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you guys next week. See you later.